Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, a real joy to be with you, and um, wow, how powerful it's been just to uh, worship so far and uh, just be drawn into the presence of God together. And here we are on this last Sunday in what I have felt has been uh, just a real spirit-led series through uh, Jesus' letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to read the last letter, verses 14 to 22 together. I'll be reading from the NIV translation, all right? Beginning at verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, did you know that uh, if you open a Hebrew Bible what we Christians call the Old Testament, and you read through it in its original language, you will find that in all of its many pages, there's actually only one word, just a single word that is printed in bold. And you know what that word is? Shema, hear. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad which means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So that's called the Shema, the call for God's people to hear. To hear what? to hear what Jesus called the greatest of all commands, the first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with everything, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then as you read on in the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, it says, and these words that I command you today 
shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the hands and the foreheads of God's people, their entrances were to be marked by the word of God. So their hands and their heads, they represented their, their actions, their deeds, and their attitudes. Their acts and their attitudes. Their actions were to show their loyalty to God, right? And their attitudes were to show their loyalty to God. They were to be God's peculiar possession. And not just their actions and attitudes, but the actions and the attitudes of their children as well. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's what God said. So that their young girls and their young boys would grow up to be godly young women and godly young men, godly young people. Like, for example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember them? Remember their story? I remember one morning at breakfast a while ago when I was reading my boys their story before I headed off to work. I was, uh, I was reading it to them from uh, the Action Bible, which is awesome. It's a comic book Bible, and uh, I love comic books, so uh, the more comic books I can get, if I can get the Bible in, the, in a comic book form, then I'll take it. And so I was reading for my boys from the Action Bible, uh, from the book of Daniel, from the history of the Jews during the time of exile, when these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they found themselves taken from their homeland and deported to Babylon. Now just think if that actually happened, that happened to your own children. They're snatched from your arms and suddenly, guess what? Your opportunity to raise them, to teach them the fear and the love of the Lord, well, it's gone. All of that is over now and you can only hope that whatever you've taught them already is gonna be enough because now they're going to be enrolled along with all of the other exiles in the Babylonian re-education program. And for these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everything is different. If they want to survive in this new setting, well, they're going to have to make some changes. They're going to have to make some compromises. Compromises in their worship, compromises in their diet, compromises in their fundamental loyalties. Only they don't. They don't. They just refuse to make those compromises until finally there comes this moment when the choice between faithfulness on the one hand and compromise on the other hand is really a choice between life and death when they're commanded to kneel before this statue of the king. Now, why are they commanded to kneel? 
They're commanded to kneel along with all of the other deportees and officials of Babylon to show something, to show that their loyalty is now with the king. Their loyalty is now with the monarch of Babylon. And so everybody bows across this vast space, except for these three young men. And you know why these three young men do not bow? These three young men do not bow because they remember. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, and no one else, no one before him. And so they stayed standing. And the result of their choice? Well, they were sentenced to die. Death in the furnace. And so I read my boys their story. How they were sentenced to death and how that sentence was indeed executed and then how God saved them from death. Once I was finished reading, my third son, Asher, my little redhead. You know what he said to me? Asher looked at me and he said this. He said, Daddy, I'll never forget it. Daddy, if they tried to make me bow to the king, I would choose heaven. I would choose Jesus. And when he said that, I got to be honest, it, it was a bit of a wake-up moment for me. Because when I heard my son, like my, my precious little boy, say that, there was this voice inside of me in that moment that wanted to answer, no, Asher, you would not. You would choose survival. You would do whatever you had to do just to keep living. But then my audible voice, my real voice said, yes, Asher, so would I. That's what I would choose to. And then I thought to myself, wow, it's a perilous thing teaching our kids to love Jesus. You just never know where that's going to lead. Well, hold on a second, you know, somebody might say. Isn't that a little extreme? I mean, after all, religion is supposed to enhance your life, not endanger it. Would a loving God really call you to suffer because of him? To die because of him? Wouldn't a loving God have you tell your kids, you know what, if you ever find yourself in that kind of situation where you have to make the choice between bowing to the king and living or standing for God and dying, well, then here's what you do. Here's what you do, son, daughter. Just bow with your body and stand in your head. Whatever you've got to do to just stay alive. Bow to the king with your body and stay true to the Lord in your head. I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, Deuteronomy 6.5 is what's wrong with that. That passage I read earlier, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your might. You shall love the Lord. You shall worship the Lord. You shall be loyal to the Lord with all of yourself. Not just the invisible part of yourself that nobody can see or call to account, but the visible part as well. You shall love the Lord your God with all of yourself. But again, someone could say, I'm sorry, but I think that's just a wee bit dogmatic. A little black and white, actually. A little too black and white. And and you know what? Judging by our scripture this morning, that is exactly how you might be thinking. If you were a citizen of Laodicea, the chief city of the province of Phrygia, Laodicea was truly a place of significance. She was a banking center founded at the intersection of two imperial trade routes. She had grown wealthy from her position at the hub of imperial commerce. She was a medical center. The faces of uh, her physicians were stamped on the area's coins, and she was home to the renowned Phrygian powder, which was used in eye salves across the empire. She was a fashion center. The Laodicean sheep were bred for their glossy black wool, which was in high demand for garments of style, like the Trimita tunic. So finance, medicine, fashion, these are the things on which you can build a city of significance, a city of distinction. And as a city, as a a citizen of this city, you really have everything. You really have everything. After all, Laodicea is self-sufficient. So much so that when the great earthquake destroyed everything 30 years past and Rome offered to help pay to rebuild, Laodicea said, no, thank you, Rome. We'll do just fine on our own. And they did. The city rose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources. They did it on their own. They had everything they needed, except for good water. You see, Laodicea, she doesn't have a a natural water supply. Since her location was determined by the intersection of these two trade routes, she's actually miles from fresh water. Unlike the the neighboring city of uh, Colossae, for example, with its cold and refreshing drinking water. And unlike Hierapolis, also nearby, with its soothing hot springs. And so what does Laodicea do? Well, she pipes the water in. Which means that in Laodicea, the only water you can get is this lukewarm, mineral-laden swill that tends to make you puke. Oh, but you don't talk about that. You don't talk about that. After all, Laodicea is the most prosperous metropolis in Phrygia, and you have prospered right along with her. You lead a convenient life, a moderate life, 
with everything in its proper place, your work, your entertainment, and your worship, which you share with your fellow Christians who come together week by week in the houses you built with your prosperous income. Being successful businessmen, many of you are members of the trade guilds, and so by default, you have to pay lip service to the gods of the guilds from time to time. Your pagan business partners give these patron deities credit for their success. But you know, you know who the true God is, and you try not to make waves. Each to his own, you say. You attend the odd sacrifice to keep your connections fresh. Say the odd oath of loyalty to the imperial cult. Oh, but God knows. God knows your heart. Besides, isn't there something rich about the diversity, about the, the rainbow of belief represented by each guild, each deity, each cult? with Jews, Greeks, and Asians, all living together in mutual prosperity. Balance. That's the key. All things in moderation. I mean, the last thing that you want is, is to come off like, like some kind of narrow-minded fanatic and, and end up like the Christians in Smyrna who don't seem to know how to live in the real world. You're not about to jeopardize your hard-won prosperity by developing some overly sensitive conscience. No, you worked for it, so you deserve to enjoy it. Your family deserves to enjoy it. Everything in its right place. And now that it's the Lord's Day, that place is church. It's time to sing. It's time to eat and, and then sit back and, and hear if there's anything interesting in this, this new letter that's arrived from the Apostle John. What does it say? To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. All right. Now, traditionally, Jesus' words here about the Laodicean Christians being neither cold nor hot, they've been taken to mean uh, to be about their level of passion, right? Under this interpretation, Jesus is taken to mean that, that they, are, they are neither completely for him, like burning with passion, nor completely against him, you know, as abstinent atheists. And he would rather that, that they were one or the other than just, you know, being in between there. Now, there's a number of reasons why this may not be actually the best interpretation of this passage. One is that it kind of leads to, to the awkward conclusion that, that Jesus is saying that it would be better if they were total atheists, completely against him, 
you know, than, than a little bit further toward that direction. I know your deeds, he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. This morning, what I want to suggest to you is, is that uh, that may not be the best interpretation. You see, as we heard earlier, this reference to hot and cold and, and lukewarm water, it's taken from the physical character of Laodicea itself. So remember, whereas nearby Colossae was known for its cold, refreshing drinking water, and, and nearby Hierapolis was, was known for its soothing hot springs, Laodicea, she had to have her water piped in, which resulted in this lukewarm swill that tended to make you nauseous. And so, so both Colossae and, and Hierapolis, they had water that had a definite character, like an integrity to it, that was good for something, whereas Laodicea's water was, was really good for nothing. And why was it good for nothing? It was good for nothing because it had no definite character. It was neither hot, good for bathing, nor cold, good for drinking. It was like the salt, actually. It was like the salt that Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 5. Once it loses its saltiness, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So do you hear the similarity there? Salt that has lost its character, that's lost its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything. It is to be thrown out. And water without character, water that is neither hot nor cold, is to be spewed out from the mouth of Jesus. And so the point here for Christians isn't so much about passion, although that is important to the Lord. It's more about showing integrity, about having a definite character, not losing your saltiness, not being like a gray man with no black or white to you, but being a true, definite Christian to be marked by God's word. As Deuteronomy said, on your hands, in your head, in your acts, in your attitudes. You know, later on in the book of Revelation, we read about those who received the mark of the beast in the very same places, on their hand, on their heads. And for the Jewish Christian reading this vision of John's, his mind would immediately be taken to that passage in Deuteronomy that we read earlier, and he would understand that this mark of the beast represents not godly thoughts and godly deeds, but worldly thoughts and worldly deeds. You see, in the book of Revelation, there are these two figures. Maybe you remember them. These two figures of the prostitute on the one hand and of the beast on the other hand, who together, they act as the carrot and the stick. The prostitute is like the carrot, representing those aspects of the world that would seduce God's people. 
whereas the beast is like the stick, standing in for the things that would intimidate God's people. Whether it's the media or the government or this increasing cultural push to classify God's word and its moral teachings as a form of hate speech. Don't forget who you are, Christian. Don't lose your character. It's so easy to do. It is so easy to lose your character as a Christian, to lose your saltiness, to be neither hot nor cold. And you know how it happens? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens by making your goal the approval of the world. By making your goal the approval of the world. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. And the second that you make being popular your goal, being acceptable to the world, you will stop being a Christian with integrity. If you belong to the world, Jesus said in John 15, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Think of these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who refused to bow. They knew whom they belonged to. They knew whom they served. And you know why they knew that? They knew that because they were raised to remember. You know what? If you raise your child, if you raise your child to be safe in this world, You know, like that interior voice of mine that wanted to say to Asher, you would do whatever it took to just survive. If you raise your child to be safe in this world, to just go along with things, you're going to create someone fragile. You're going to create someone who will not hold up under pressure. But if you raise your child to be brave in this world, to be brave for the cause of Christ, you will create someone formidable. Not someone fragile, but someone formidable. Someone who knows their Lord, who knows who they are, who bears Jesus' character with integrity, who isn't a gray man, who has a real black and white, who is hot or cold and not lukewarm. Someone who remembers, even though Even though I walk through this valley of the shadow of death, even though I stand when everyone is bowing, it's really okay because my Lord is with me. He's with me, and he will be with them. And let's just remind ourselves, who is that Lord? Who is he? That Lord is Jesus. He's the one from the vision of chapter 2 that we've been memorizing together with the eyes like blazing fire so that when you can't see things clearly, right? You can't make heads or tails of what's going on in this world. He can. He will pierce through to the truth. He is the one with the voice 
like rushing waters so that when your own witness, when your own voice in this world just feels like it's drowned out by all the noise around you, his irresistible word will just keep moving forward like a tsunami, an ocean. He's the one with the feet like glowing bronze so that when you are called to walk through the furnace, he will be there walking beside you. This is the Lord who stands at all of our doors and knocks. And he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come in. How we need to hear his voice in our lives today. We need to hear him. We need to hear him. As a church, we need to open our ears to hear from our God. But how, would he, how do we do that? How do we open our ears? How do we hear from our God? You know what? It isn't complicated. We do that by reading his word. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. It says in this book, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. You know, but in order to listen, in order to hear from his word, we first got to turn down the noise. We've got to give a little less attention to the news and its headlines and a little more attention to God's word and his headlines. We've got to turn down the noise so that, so that we can hear the still, small voice that speaks in his word. So husbands, fathers, I want to speak to you just for a moment. And I want to speak to you because you are the heads of your homes, called by God to shepherd your family. And therefore, it falls to you first and foremost to just open that door, to open your door and bring the Lord in, invite him in by leading your family in reading God's word, by praying with them, by, by raising young men and young women who will say, I will not bow. I will choose heaven. I will choose Jesus. Well, we're going to bow our heads in a moment now to pray. And as we do, a question is going to come on screen about the places in our lives where, where we feel that right now what's being required of us is integrity, Christian integrity, being black and white, being hot or cold, being truly Christ's people in our lives, in our world. And so let's bow our heads and, and say this prayer together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that, uh, that those who you love are the ones that you rebuke and discipline. Those who you love. And for each of us now who, who hear your rebuke, 
who receive your discipline, we also thank you for your love, for loving us enough to not leave us where we are. And so we want to answer. We want to be earnest, as you've called us to, and we want to repent. We want to say, we, Father, Lord, we are sorry for the ways in which we have been gray men, for the ways that we've compromised, and we would pray that, that you would give us integrity to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might, not just invisibly, but visibly. Lord, let us bear witness to you in this world. We hear you standing at our door and knocking. We hear your voice, and we open the door, and we ask, Lord Jesus Christ, please come in and eat with us. Amen.